Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and happy new year to all our lovely Football Digest audience. I'm Ned Keating and we're back for the first time in 2024 to run the rule over the latest Premier League action and also run the rule over the January transfer window as well now that it's open. Uh, as usual, I'm joined this morning by Connor Bromley uh, as we give our take on all the latest news from the transfer window and the Premier League. Connor, we are going to start though with the Premier League this morning. Uh, and Liverpool FC starting 2024 in perfect fashion on top of the Premier League. A win, a 4-2 win over Newcastle United. You couldn't have asked for a better start, really, for Liverpool for 2024 if, if, if they would have wanted. You know, Jurgen Klopp on his little Christmas list, I'm sure, last week would have been saying, yeah, to be top guy in 2024 would be great. And if we can have another little wish, Santa, it would be to win the first game of that new calendar year. They've done that. Three points clear at the top. It's all looking rosy for the Reds at the minute. Yeah, and it was a, a comprehensive win. I was 4-2, but it, it very easily could have been 6 or 7-2. It was... It was it's very, very strong Liverpool performance. I think Newcastle were also are off poo as the right word, but we all know that they're struggling with fatigue and, and also injury issues and, and problems. So I don't think it was a surprise to see Liverpool so dominant. Um, but I think they kind of had to come through a little bit of adversity as well. You know, you had the, the penalty miss. I suppose we'll probably talk about the merits of both penalties that were given, but you know, Salah missed a penalty and you think, oh, is it going to be their day? They get 1-0 up, then Newcastle equalise immediately and you think, oh, maybe it isn't going to be their day, but they showed the the strength, I suppose, and the character that, to see it through it and get the win. And you know, I was impressed by Liverpool and we will you know, probably talk about Arsenal as well today, but you sort of compare and contrast the festive periods for both clubs. You know, they played just before Christmas and Drew and then since then, you know, Liverpool have kind of went on from strength to strength and Arsenal have stuttered a little bit. But I think Liverpool will be pretty content with where they are to start this year. And I think with Man City as well being, you know, behind them in the table, they'll they'll feel pretty confident, you know, that they can kind of go all the way this season and potentially win the title. I think, is it going to be a two-team race? Or are we going to write Arsenal out of it? We probably don't write Arsenal out of it because of last season. But I, I do think that, you know, if you were doing percentages, I think Jose Mourinho did that, didn't he? Um, he gave his percentages and didn't include Arsenal. But I think if you were going to do that, you'd maybe give Arsenal 5% or so because those two games that they lost were just, you know, brutal. 
and with seeing Liverpool and Man City win their games over the festive period, you know, you, you feel like them two are in the driver's seat. But yeah, it was it was a really good win last night. And I, very, very impressive from Liverpool. The one thing they probably wish they had was Darwin Nunes scoring. Did get his assist. He might have got two assists, but he did get at least one assist. Um, he just looked wasteful in front of goal. And, and that's kind of his big problem. And if Darwin Nunes had that clinical nature that Erlen Haaland did, you know, Liverpool would probably be even further clear at the top of the league. Yeah, you mentioned Arsenal there a couple of times. And of course, you know, we're talking about them after two defeats in London derbies this week uh, to, to West Ham last Thursday and to Fulham to round out 2023 with the loss on New Year's Eve. And you say they're about, you know, whether or not we, we can still include them in the tight race. For now, I'm, you know, I'm sure we still have to because me as the Spurs fan, I'm still clutching at straws to say, well, we're still in the tight run as well. We're not really, but I'm just liking to give myself a little bit of positivity at the start of 24 to just, you know, give me that at least anyway. But with Arsenal, every team goes through Every team in a season goes through a patchy run of form, don't they? You know, even that Man City side that got 100 points had a patchy run. Even that Liverpool side that was smashing at the start of the season when they won it in 2019-20 had that patchy run uh, when we returned after the uh, after the break for the pandemic. For, for this Arsenal side, this is their little patchy run of form now, or at least they've hoped that this is the only little patchy run of form that they do have this season. Uh, no winning three as well, because of course... Just before Christmas, they did draw 1-1 at Liverpool as well. It looked like a good result at the time, but now it's kind of, with those two defeats, probably doesn't look as as, as well for Arsenal fans. But for them, what it, it, it's just been an awful week, isn't it? And they just kind of, is it almost good now that they don't have the league to worry about this weekend, that it is the FA Cup? Admittedly, it is against Liverpool of all teams. So it's not going to be that kind of, oh, okay, we'll get back on the horse, we're playing a lower league team, we can get the win and, and get confident. It's still going to be a tough game, but the fact that it's not the league, they can kind of not brush these results off, but just forget about and move on, restart, hit the refresh button in January 2024. <laughs> a lot of people like to do this time of year as well. Pretend the 2023 never happened, or at least the back end of 2023 didn't happen and hit the restart button and go again this year. I think we've played Liverpool this weekend that the FA Cup gods, I suppose, weren't good to either team really, because they'll probably have to take that game pretty seriously when they probably would want to play some fringe players. I mean, maybe both teams will, you know, sort of play some of the players on the on the edge of the team and, and don't go f- fully strong. But the last thing Arsenal want to do after this little run is go to Wanfield and get spanked 4-0. You know, they, they can't afford to do that. I think that the thing with Arsenal now is last season, you know, they felt like they were still a work in progress in the sense that... You know, it was um, in the sense that people weren't expecting them to be in the title race. You know, people weren't expecting Arsenal to be at the top and they kind of sort of got there just through winning, winning, winning. And people had to take them seriously as contenders. But at the start of last season, most people said a good year for Arsenal would be finishing in the top four. Whereas this season, because of the players they've brought in, because of the money they've spent, I think most you know, consider them strong enough to to win the title and therefore there's much more pressure on them at the minute compared to last season. And this is why these two results for me were I, I would probably say unacceptable. Um the West Ham game, they were naive. Uh they, they were nowhere near at the level that you need to be. They fell for exactly how West Ham would want to play. We all knew going into that game how West Ham would want to play and Arsenal didn't have an answer for that. I know there was controversy, wasn't there, around uh, West Ham's goal, whether or not it was in or out of play. Probably unlucky on that one. Uh, maybe Arteta needs to have a word with the 
technical camera crew at the Emirates and see if they can get a different camera angle up on that line. But yeah, they, they were unfortunate, I would say, with that goal. But ultimately, they had a long time to turn that game around. You know, didn't defend a set piece and went 2-0 down. And I think, you know, West Ham, while the stats probably don't say it, I think West Ham were probably deserved winners because they executed a game plan. And then you, you look at the Fulham game and not good enough. You know, they get the early goal and they don't build on it. They, they were, certainly when they were chasing the game at 2-1 down, so wasteful with the ball. Odegaard, I've never seen him hit so many straight passes. And, it, and it's concerning, you know, if you're an Arsenal fan because that isn't the Arsenal team that we're used to seeing. And I think to see that back-to-back games as well, the, the reaction to the West Ham game, you know, wasn't good enough. And I think if they'd come from the West Ham game and lost and then went to Fulham and won, I think most people would just have went, all right, okay, the West Ham game was just a, a minor bump in the road. But now we're looking at, you know, if they go at home to Liverpool, I said they were here before, but they're at home to Liverpool and don't win that game and struggle, you know, three defeats in a row, you're looking at a mini crisis, you know, and I think for where Arsenal are and the amount of money they've spent, you know, I think that, you know, question marks have to be asked. And I think as well, Mick Arteta needs to look at himself a little bit, you know, that the lack of accountability that he shows for himself and the team. He's always looking for an excuse. And I think Arsenal really, really need to, you know, have a, a long look at themselves over the next week and figure out who they are and where they want to be come the end of the season. We're going to blitz through the two Manchester clubs now uh, to try and give us as much time to talk about transfers because that's all people care about for the next month, isn't it? It is transfers. We're going to blitz through the two Manchester clubs now quickly, Connor. Manchester City, back into Premier League action, winning both their games over Christmas, um, flexing their muscles as well. Uh, if, if anyone's not seen it, Ed of the Sheffield United match, they had all five trophies that they won in 2023 out on the pitch as well. So that's not going to intimidate you as a Sheffield United player, I'm sure nothing else. Or maybe they should have come, you know, if they're, they're runners-up medals from the uh, from the championship, maybe they should have had them on show uh, for, for the Sheffield United players. But for Man City, they are still well and truly in this title race, aren't they, Connor? And the scary thing is, they've still got Erling Haaland to come back and Kevin De Bruyne, who's missed most of the season so far, to come back in as well. Uh, are they your title favourites at this point? Yes, they are. I mean, you said we have to hurry through this. I think you can, you can with Man City because this is just back to the, the status quo for them. Two pretty comfortable wins for them over the period. The Sheffield United game, pretty comfortable. And having those players coming back, it's scary for the other teams at the top of the league. And we talked about Liverpool at the start of the show. While they are top of the league, I think Man City are going to be everyone's favourite. And yeah, it's just, you're sort of waiting for that train to get chugging for Man City and you feel like 2024, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they go at the end of the Premier League season and don't drop you know, more than six points. You know, that's how strong they can be. And on the other side of Manchester, sadly, it's the same old, same old for Man United. A, a, a win, one step forward, a win against Aston Villa, a great win, comfort behind win. And then they go and throw it all away, throw it all down the sink uh, at Nottingham Forest, a 2-1 defeat for them there. Um, it's just the same old, isn't it, really? We could probably rehash something that we've we've said on this podcast before with Man United, but it just doesn't seem... the They are consistently inconsistent, and we saw that again over the Christmas period, didn't we? The, to, to do so well and, and, you know, show real fight and desire to get back against Aston Villa, and we've not really shown any of those characteristics at Nottingham Forest. The Villa game was... <laughs> It was probably one of the games of the festive period, to be fair. It was a, a brilliant match. And I think Aston Villa, to be fair, were as much to blame as Man United. You know, their second half performance was so poor. But the character Man United showed to get back into it. And you think, right, the season's starting now. You know, this is this is such a big result. But then they dropped an absolute stinger, didn't they, at Nottingham Forest. They were terrible. The only goal they scored was a, essentially from a goalkeeping mistake. Um, 
not good enough. You know what? I think with the changes that are happening at Manchester United upstairs, I think Eric Ten Hag has to be worrying about his position at this club long term. I don't think they'd make a change mid-season, but I certainly think if you're a Man United fan, looking at his body of work over the last year, look at the recruitment that he's he's done as Manchester United manager. You know, I, I think there has to be giant question marks over him and his future at Man United. But also, to be honest, I look at him and I don't think he looks like he has the the stomach for it at the minute. You know, I, I think that he, he doesn't look like a manager that's invigorated by the project. You look at Pochettino, for example, when things aren't going well at Chelsea and um, he has a very different mannerism to what Ten Hag does. So, yeah, it's it's very very concerning for Manchester United at the minute and I'm pretty worried about them finishing in Europe come the end of the season. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I suppose then, if we are going to start this transfer talk, we might as well start with Manchester United. Um, but it sounds like you're suggesting that the one thing that they really need this window is perhaps a new manager. Um, most fans would, you know, there'd be maybe not most, but there'd be definitely certain sections of the fan group that would agree uh, with with that statement. And there'd also be other sections of the fan group saying that they need an entire new eleven. I am entirely sure we could devote an entire podcast thirty minutes long to what Manchester United need in the January transfer window. Uh, so if you could try and succinctly sum it up uh, for us now, Connor, that would be greatly appreciated because we've still got the other uh, plenty of other big clubs to get through. So if you could summarise quickly what Man United would need in this window and if there's any players that you think they should be going after, please fire away and, and, and yeah, hopefully it, it doesn't delve into a 30-minute uh, talk. As, a, as I said, that we could do an entire podcast episode almost on it. Yeah, I mean, I think for as much as what Man United need to bring in, it's, it's the players that they're trying to get rid of or you expect them to get rid of. You know, we've got the Jaden Sancho issue, Lumen over, you know, and, and the expectation I think is, is that he will leave, um, which again just shows the bad business that Manchester United have done. Surely you can figure out how to get a £73 million player and your manager to communicate with each other, but apparently not. They just extended Lindelof's contract at centre-back, but haven't extended Raphael Varane's contract at centre-back. So Varane currently is free to talk to anyone he wants to about a move in Europe at the end of the season. So you feel like that partnership, that marriage between Manchester United and Varane's coming to an end. And we're talking about a you know, world-class Champions League, World Cup winning centre-back there, which is astounding that Manchester United are making the decision to get rid of him. But also, to be honest, not really give him the minutes this season. And there's a report at the MEN that um, Varane feels like he's been forced out and that's what it looks like from the outside. <laughs> In terms of other positions on the field, you know, you look at the left-back position, you know, Luke Shaw's keeps picking up little niggles and injuries. Uh, Regulon, who they brought in from Tottenham, doesn't seem to have been fit. I think they played Diego Dallow there uh, against Tottenham Forest. So is, is there question marks at that position? You know, discuss centre backs possibly needing to bring in a centre back that'd be linked with Giorgio Scalvini from Atlanta for forty four million pounds, and um, that's a release clause in his contract. So maybe that's an option, but it, it doesn't feel like 
January's the time to do this major surgery. So you wonder if that always end the season. The other issues they've got, I mean, Hoysland scored one goal, hasn't he? Uh, Rashford struggling to score goals. Obviously got one in Nottingham Forest, but largely struggling compared to last season when he was amazing. They've got issues in the final third, you know, and not scoring enough. Is that something to look for a temporary fix? You know, we all remember last year they brought in Bout Beghorst. <laughs> I don't know if they'll necessarily make a move like that, but yeah, I can see them trying to put a plaster on this this Manchester United team, maybe bringing in a loan or two. But there's a lot of holes, isn't there? You look at the Manchester United team and compare it to say the Manchester City team, and it's it's chalk and cheese. The issues that Manchester United have are are huge, and the the problem really stems from just poor business over the last couple of years. You know, Anthony who they brought in for £80 million. I think there was a report last week that the club had him valued at £25 million. They somehow end up spending, you know, more than triple that. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And hopefully with Jim Ratcliffe coming in and, and being in that football department, they can start to add some sense to that Manchester United recruitment because they really, really need it. But yeah, there's a lot of work to do. Maybe January's not the time, but there's there's a lot of work to do at Manchester United over the next 18 months. For the other side of Manchester then, for Manchester City, and in terms of what they need in January, would it be more, perhaps it isn't anyone that they need to add to their squad and it's just a player that they already have, get him back fit, one player that we've already mentioned already this morning on the podcast, getting Kevin De Bruyne back in. Is that all they probably need in this January window? Because you look at it, and we'll come on to Liverpool and Arsenal in a second, I was kind of... Uh, speaking to people about it over Christmas and, and the title race and how narrow it looks, and it could be a three-horse title race. And I think this January window could be quite decisive in it and who needs what, what Liverpool need and Arsenal will come on to those later on. But for Man City, it just felt like they don't need any additions. They just need to get one man back for it and that man is Kevin De Bruyne. But that will feel like a new signing, won't it? You hope they don't rush him in. and Because surprisingly for Man City, they kind of did that with him, didn't they? You know, he played towards the end of the last season and, and clearly wasn't 100% fit. And then he started the season at Burnley, wasn't it? And he got injured in the, the first match of the season. So you hope that, that they give him time and, you know, they they need Kevin De Bruyne back, but there's, there's games like this weekend in the FA Cup surely isn't the time to bring him back in or maybe you, you give him a, a little cameo. You know, they need him fully fit and raring to go and they can't take any risks with still going for the Champions League, you know, potentially going for a treble as well with the FA Cup and Premier League. They need him 100% fit. So I hope they don't rush him. Um, the only other thing you'd say with Man City is Calvin Phillips has obviously been pretty heavily linked with a move. Newcastle seem to be sniffing around him. I think I've seen PSG as well. Somehow Calvin Phillips with PSG. But yeah, I've seen that one potentially linked. And Lucas Paqueta from West Ham, you know, that was a transfer they were trying to do in the summer. Is that a player that they look at again uh, in January, especially with John Stones injured as well. I know Stones traditionally a centre-back, but he has played in central midfield for Man City quite a bit this season. So with Phillips going, Stones being injured, you know, sort of medium to long-term, maybe they do need to look at a central midfield replacement, but it wouldn't surprise me if City didn't do anything in January and I wouldn't really blame them for waiting until the summer to do any sort of major transfers.
as ever, of course, you can get involved uh, whilst we're recording along this morning, even if you're listening back to it as a podcast or watching later along. Uh, feel free to message us across any social media platforms at, at Mirror Football, uh, and we'll do our best to try and mention some of the uh, some of the comments on future shows. But we do have one from a listener who has come in uh, this morning uh, from N7, the real man, uh, and it will lead us on to Chelsea's transfer needs uh, quite nicely, I think, actually, because he's asking why isn't Kunku not playing as a striker. Um, for, from my understanding, um, he's more of a false line anyway, and I don't think he'd fit in with how Chelsea playing as a striker. Um, so for me, that is why I don't think he's an out and out striker and he's not what Chelsea need. But that is what Chelsea need in this window, isn't it, Connor? They do need that out and out number nine, and Kunku's not that. Nicholas Jackson hasn't shown that so far this season, um, as well. I don't think you know, we've we've kind of seen it in fits and spurts with him, but he doesn't look reliable. All the stories ahead of the January transfer window about Chelsea have been linking them with a striker. First of all, it's Victor Osserman from uh, Napoli. He's just signed a new contract with them over over Christmas. But we know from previous transfer windows that's never normally something that puts clubs off signing players. Normally, that's that's kind of clever on behalf of the, the selling club because it ramps up the price. And maybe maybe Napoli are getting involved in that. Uh, but if it's not Victor Osserman that Chelsea have been linked with, then it is Victor Giocesh uh, at Sporting in Portugal. Uh, done well for commentary in the championship last year and uh, this summer move and, and he's impressed in Portugal ever since been a real goal machine out there for sporting um, so much so that Chelsea are interested in him as well so Connor that is what Chelsea need isn't it I've pretty much answered the question there for you Chelsea need a striker it's just who they're able to go and get this month yeah normally I think teams avoid doing the major bits of business in January but Chelsea last January kind of threw that theory in the mud didn't they you know they, they spent an absolute fortune on Enzo Fernandez, you know, that was a huge uh, bit of business for them. So it wouldn't shock me if Chelsea decided to go all out in January and correct this problem. Because to be fair, if you watch Chelsea, they are a very good football team that just lack that clinical edge. And, you know, they, they've relied heavily on Cole Palmer. He's been a really, really good addition for them, but he's, you know, he's not an out and out striker as he's playing. He's coming from midfield and scoring goals. They do need a player to get the chances that Nicholas Jackson is getting the one who's capable of putting them away and you know if they brought in a player of say Victor Osherman's caliber you would expect they'd be scoring a lot more goals so I can see Chelsea going big in January and bringing in a striker you know I think Jokerez who was so good at coming last season I was shocked that no Premier League team went for him in the summer um, and I think the fact that Chelsea will probably end up if they do buy and pay triple to quadruple uh, what was paid for him in the summer. I think that kind of shows that the Premier League teams really missed uh, in not bringing him in. And I think, yeah, Jokeres would be, to be fair, a good move. He's, he's a complete striker. He's, he can run the channels. He's physical. He's good in the air. He's a good finisher. He's kind of got a little bit of everything. And I could see him being a good fit for a Premier League team. And I think Chelsea, you know, that, that maybe is a, a better way of going than spending £150 million on Ossiman. Um, I think that could be a better use of resources. Staying in London and staying with a team that could also be for striker. I think we were doing this podcast this time last week before Arsenal uh, lost to West Ham and lost to Fulham. We probably would have only said that all they need in January is a striker, a clinical striker. And of course, Ivan Tony has been the one that's been linked with them hugely, um, you know, for over the last, you know, pretty much over the last year, I think now. Um, so for sure, that's somewhere that we think Arsenal are going to be looking at in this window, that they are going to be trying to sign a striker. Is there anything else now from these two games against West Ham and against Fulham, the two defeats? Is there anything else that they might be looking at now? Because you kind of feel like, you know, as you said, they're, they're 
Titans Hall Hopes had taken a massive hit this last week with these two defeats. They need to bounce back somehow. They do need a striker. But is there any other position that they need something in, something that could, again, as I said earlier on, might end up being the difference between Arsenal winning the title, Arsenal being in the title race, and Arsenal missing out again? I think they the lack sort of quality depth, you know, and I mentioned at the start of the show when we are talking about Arsenal, you know, Odegaard was, was poor against Fulham. But he's so heavily relied upon. They don't really have another player that can sort of slot. And he's obviously, you're not going to be able to get two water guards, but just a player that can sort of help you, you know, a little bit more. And I think they brought in Trossard last season. And he, for me, hasn't looked you know, at the, the necessary level needed. I don't think he's as productive as they need him to be. And I think Arsenal could really do with it another forward player um, who plays sort of, on the wing or behind the striker, just a player that can give them a little bit of spark, you know, from the bench. So that there's games like the Fulham game, like the West Ham game, where they, they've got another option to bring on. When Saka and Martinelli are firing, you know, I think Arsenal generally struggle, and, and that's you know that's a problem. You look at Man City, and you know that if if they're struggling going forward, they've got a plethora of options to bring on off the bench. You know, you can bring on Jack Grealish, and he can sort of change how you how you play and. I think Arsenal could sort of lack that. Um, other areas, I think, of concern. Like, I think you always want to improve a little bit. I think they could maybe do with some help in in defence. Certainly, we saw at the end of last season, William Saliba went down injured and they really struggled without him. Again, it's always going to be difficult to find a replacement for William Saliba. But, you know, is the all the players that they've got in there at the minute good enough? If he goes down injured, have they got a good enough replacement for him? I'm not sure. The clear one's the striker. You know, I think Gabriel Jesus, we know from his time at Manchester City, he's not a prolific striker. He's not somebody who's going to bang your 30 goals in. He's not somebody who's very clinical. He's generally somebody who gets a lot of chances and needs, you know, three or four in a match to score one goal. And in games like the West Ham game and the Fulham game, where chances are few and far between, you need somebody a little bit more clinical. Eddie Nketiah isn't good enough. You know, he he... He just isn't at the level required to play for a top-end Premier League team. He's, he's obviously a good striker. He's a Premier League striker. He'd probably be a really good fit for anyone outside sort of the top six or seven at the minute. But for Arsenal right now, I just when he comes on, I don't think, oh, he might might score a goal here. You know, and that's that's a problem. You know, you look at what Liverpool can do, where they can bring on Diego Jota, who can you know, find them, you know, yesterday got a, a really key assist, comes on off the bench and they've got players that can change the game. And I just look at Arsenal's bench and I, I just think they lack them game-changing players. And I think in January, it's a hard time to make them sort of transfers, but it wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal did try and go all out and bring in, you know, a big striker. Ivan Tony, obviously heavily linked, his betting bands coming to an end. But... Is he the answer? I don't know if he necessarily is the answer. You know, maybe also we better looking at Victor Osman, who we were talking about with Chelsea before. You know, he for me looks like a bit more of a guarantee of goals than Ivan Tony. We know Ivan Tony can score goals, but we don't know if he can score. You know, the thirty goals that also need in a season, and that's what they will need. You know, in terms of bringing in bringing in a hundred million pound striker, they need that to be a, a striker that's going to bang them in the goals and be better than Gabriel Jesus and be better than Eddie and Kenya. When you were saying Victor there, I thought you were going to go down the other end and suggest Victor Giocalesh as a, as a more uh, uh, reasonable and affordable uh, solution to Arsenal striking needs. But we are going to stay in North London for the next club, my beloved Tottenham Hotspur. Um, 
my assessment of what we need in January, if we are to push for a top four place, we won't say title, we'll, be, we'll just say top four instead. We'll be realistic. 2024, a year of realism with me, perhaps. Um, but it is similar to Arsenal, really, in a way, isn't it? Depth. Depth in that Tottenham squad is exactly what's needed this month. It was highlighted dramatically and drastically earlier in the season uh, following the uh, capitulation against Chelsea where two men sent off, lost two key players as well. You know, I think I think the fans after for the next game were told to bring their boots to Wolves just in case they needed to play. Um, and that, that highlighted exactly what Spurs need in this January window, two months before we even got to January, didn't it? That there isn't enough in that squad to sustain it long-term if they do pick up injuries, suspensions, and, and you know, not to mention the fact that there is a key man leaving the squad this month as well, Kim Min-Solnoff to uh, the Asian Cup to lead South Korea's charge at that tournament in Qatar. So they're going to be without him for a, for a long period now. Um, but again, more so, you know, maybe up front they're okay. They've got enough players perhaps to cover. I know there are still a few issues uh, injury-wise up there. Um, obviously, Dane Kulisevsky missing the win over Bournemouth. But for Spurs, it is depth. That is that is hundred percent what they need. They just need to find these options and, and add more depth to their squad, just so that what happened earlier in the season doesn't happen ever again. Yeah, I think Spurs. You know, can you rely on Rakolison? You know, as your your main striker. You know, is, is that the the correct thing to do? You know, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think to be fair to um, Ange Postecoglou, he, he's done very well to get Rakolison back on track. You know, I, I think um, he's. He struggled um, since he saved for Spurs. So, you know, I think it is depth. You know, I think Ange has also said that he wants to bring in a centre-back. I'm pretty sure he'd, um, he's, he's said previously, I think in a press conference, that he, he wanted to bring in players in January. So we do know that... Um, we do know that they're going to bring in you know, we're going to be looking at bringing in new players. And I think of all the teams, they're probably the only one that's came out and sort of outright said that they need to to bring in players. I suppose that the benefit Spurs have is they don't have European football to worry about. So when they're pushing for the top four this season, uh, you know, they don't have the concerns. I suppose Manchester United don't either, to be fair. But, you know, I think Manchester United, I think are nine points behind Spurs at the minute. So maybe aren't the concern that you would expect them to be. But yeah, I think, I think Spurs... It is a case, as you said, of bringing in depth. I think that the first 11 when fully fit is, you know, pretty, pretty strong. It's strong as anyone else, you know, sort of looking for that false position. They're obviously a little bit weaker than, you know, the top three, but the the, the team is stronger, I would say, than Aston Villa's, for example. I think Aston Villa, though, got a lot of positive momentum. They're a big concern for Tottenham pushing for that place. But I do think Tottenham, on their day with a fully fit team, can beat anybody in the Premier League and you know with the style of play that they play as well they're always exciting to watch and yeah I think if they can just bring in maybe two or three players in January just to supplement what they've got they could be in for a really good second half of the season I like that sucking up to me in the first episode of 2024 and telling me how great Tottenham are going to be. Good lad, good lad. Come back to us next week after at the FA Cup and, uh, and I'm not sure if we're so positive. Um, we are going to switch now though, back up north, back to Liverpool um, and looking at their January transfer needs. Um, I suppose one of them is a frivolous suggestion. They're going to be without Mo Salah now um, until at least early February. You'd say probably a little bit later than that because you'd expect Egypt to be uh, going quite deep into the Africa Cup nations. 
they could do with a replacement for Hitton. <laughs> I'm sure they could. But perhaps for Liverpool, now we could talk about Kylian Mbappe as well. Reports are suggesting uh, that he could be, uh, that he's definitely of interest to Liverpool and that he's a free agent. Well, he's going to be a free agent in the summer set at Liverpool and others, including Real Madrid, can, can talk to him now about a free move in, in that. So maybe Liverpool's irons will be in that fire uh, this month rather than anywhere else. But it, what do Liverpool need? You know, we've got a question from the CD Passad as well saying, is there any hope that Liverpool can, can sign a player uh, or any chance of Liverpool signing a player this January? I mean, do they need a right back to allow Trent Alexander-Arnold to go into midfield full time? They're going to lose Wataro Endo as well, similar to, to human science Spurs. He's off to the Asian Cup with Japan as well, and he'll be leading their charge there. Um, you know, do Liverpool need another right back to, to allow Trent to go into midfield? Is that what they need in this window? What do Liverpool need in this window? They don't need major surgery. You know, it's it's not like the Manchester United team where you sort of feel like that there's a lot to be done. I think Liverpool are pretty much there or thereabouts. They did a lot of good work in the summer, uh, correcting, you know, midfield issues. I still think that they probably are still one player light in central midfield. Um, I think they're really easier said than done, but could do with a Declan Rice type player who can drive them from box to box. Uh, and I think that's something probably for the summer. Um, other areas, yes, you're right. It would be good to be able to move Trent Alexander-Arnold further up the field. I mean, currently he's playing left-back, isn't he, because of the, the issues they've got in defence with injuries. So it would be good to bring in a player to help there. But again, I just don't see you being able to sign you know, your future right back in a January window. I think it'll be difficult to do that. I think we've got to talk a little bit about Kylian Mbappe. I think that's the the new story that excites me the most. I didn't think that... We all just thought you'd go to Real Madrid, didn't we? So the fact that there is such a strong link to Liverpool and that he's reportedly open to the move, I don't know why Liverpool, why not the other teams in the Premier League. It always feels like Liverpool's the, the one that he's linked with. But if Liverpool could pull that off, I mean, it, it'll cost them a lot. It's a free transfer, yes, in theory, but Kylian Mbappe is not moving for pennies. You know, he's going to be getting a, a very big wage on a free transfer. He's going to get a very big sign on bonus. I mean, we're talking about a player that on the open market, if you were to buy him, would be probably the most expensive in the world, 200, 250 million pounds. You're talking about a very, very, you know, expensive acquisition, even on a free transfer. So if that's a realistic possibility and Liverpool can talk to him right now because he's, you know, out of contract in the next six months, they can talk to him. They can work out that deal right now. They can figure out how much it'll cost them. Maybe they put their eggs in that basket and think, right, you know, we're, we're going to hold back in January. We're not going to do anything. We're going to wait till the summer and put all the resources into bringing in Mbappe in, you know, with the stories around Salah, potentially moving to Saudi Arabia, what a replacement it would be if, you know, they, they moved on from Mo Salah in the summer and were able to bring in Mbappe to replace him, you know, it would feel like a, somehow a like-for-like replacement. You wouldn't think it would be possible to replace Mohamed Salah, but if they were able to bring in Kylian Mbappe, you know, I think it would be a real shot in the arm for Liverpool, but also a shot in the arm for the Premier League to attract a player of his calibre, you know, and, and get one over Real Madrid. Real Madrid bringing in Jude Bellingham, I think was a little bit of a, a dagger to the Premier League. You know, Jude Bellingham, I think, should be playing in the Premier League. English central midfielder, going to be the best player in the world, certainly one of them. And he went to Real Madrid, probably where he's going to spend the rest of his career. To bring in Mbappe would be a real sign from the Premier League that, you know, yes, we are the best league in the world and it's justified. And I think if Liverpool can pull that off, you know, that would be 
brilliant news for football fans. Maybe not fans of Manchester City and Arsenal and their rivals, but for the neutral fan, it would be really, really good news. And it wouldn't shock me if Liverpool were quiet in January. We do have uh, Richard Hattinson as well getting involved in the comments this morning, uh, suggesting that Liverpool uh, need to get a left centre-back or a left-back. So kind of, you know, similar to what Man City, I presume, have with um, Nathan Ake and Jossica Bardio and the number six in the window as well. Perhaps uh, a, a natural left-footed right-winger, um, you know, obviously to, to kind of cope with Salah's absence in uh, listing players like Bowen, Sane, Rafinha, Neto or Elise. But like you say there, they might be a little bit too busy uh, <laughs> elsewhere trying to tempt people to come in the summer uh, to, to kind of focus on that. Connor, just before we go this morning, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you had one transfer saga to watch this window very quickly, who would it be and what do you expect to happen in it? For me, I think it would be uh, Ivan Tony, and I think it would be that one to watch. Um, I think Arsenal will be, I think it will go down to the wire. Although Arsenal have done better in recent years. They've, they've not left it too late, but I think um, that, that could be one that can run and run this month for me, at least anyway. I think it will get done. I think it will be towards the end of the transfer window. Uh, Q, of course, the deal will be announced tomorrow then, uh, just to really put egg on my face as per usual. But for you, Conan, what is the one transfer saga that we should be looking at this month and how will it finish? I think the Chelsea striker situation. You know, I think their owner, uh, Todd Bowley, I think he he likes things to be done. you know. And if he thinks there's a way he can help his team, he's going to go out and, and find a way. And I think that's probably the thing that Chelsea are looking to do in this window and I think that's the thing possibly going to be the most expensive transfer of the window would be Chelsea's move for a centre forward and I think that's the one that fans should be looking at if it's Victor Osman you know we're talking probably 120 to 150 million pounds that's a, that's a huge outlay I don't even know if Chelsea can do that with FFP I'm not 100% sure the amount of money they've spent that could be a huge one and Yokerez we talked about that before you know, 60, 80 million pounds, probably at a guess. Yeah, I think they um Sporting spent what 20 ish in the summer. So they're not gonna let him go cheap when he's just came in. But yeah, I think I think Chelsea's striker ambition is the thing that I'm gonna be watching quite keenly. And I'll be shocked if we're sat here on the sort of second of February in a month's time and Chelsea haven't brought in a new striker. Oh, of course, you can keep up to date for the latest from the January transfer window, uh, as well as all the other big news stories. Of course, Mira being home of the breaking news story this morning that Wayne Rooney has been sacked as Birmingham City manager. Um, so you can read more about that and, and read all the fallout from that uh, across the Daily Mirror, Daily Express, Daily Star websites, as well as all the latest from the January transfer window and everything else that you can think of to do with football. Uh, again, Happy New Year to all our audience. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to always listen and, and get involved as well in the comments. Really appreciate that as ever. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye.